Today we kick off a fall semester series unpacking a portion of scripture for the next several weeks. And to jump in, I invite you to take your study guide that's on the back of your, your worship guide. Um, take those fill in the blanks, fill those out today. They're on the app, Timber Creek Church app. You can download that at, on iOS or Android and you can follow in and fill in the blanks right there and email them back to yourself. Some people say we're the blankety blank church. I only think it's because we fill in blanks. I don't think there's any other reason. So hope. I want to start by this question. I want to start everybody. I want, to, I want you to not, not, not a question, but more of an audacious statement. I want to give you a pretty audacious statement that may feel a little controversial, but I promise you it is the linchpin for your relationship with God. It is the hinge point, like a, like a hinge on a door. It opens so many things. Uh, let's write this down together. Prayer is the key to everything you should do and be. Prayer is the key. It unlocks who you really should become, who, what you should be doing. Prayer is the key. It grants us access to everything. It gives us the knowledge and the behavior and the strength. You name it. Prayer is the key to everything you should do and be. That's why prayer shouldn't be our last resort. It should be our first response. Now I want to break that down for you a little bit. You can write these down. Here's, here's making my case for why prayer is everything, the key to everything you should do and, and be. First of all, I can't really know myself without prayer can't really know myself. Something powerful happens when we allow the searchlight of God to penetrate our hearts through prayer and shine his light on areas. There's just something powerful about sitting in the presence of God, engaging him through prayer and letting him search our hearts and our minds and our anxious thoughts. Because the truth, the truth is um, we fall in love with the version we think we are versus who we really are. That's why we have a problem when someone says to us, I see something in you that you don't see. And you're like, you don't know me. You don't even know. You don't even know. Like, like we, it's hard for us to say, can I say something? I don't think you see this because later you will say, I didn't see it coming because you only see a version of yourself. But what prayer does is it illuminates those chasms in our heart, the deep caves, the areas yet to have been surrendered. It gives us opportunity for the love of God to pour light into those areas and become, help us to know ourselves so that we can become who he's calling us to become. Next, I can't change myself without prayer. I can't really change myself because I don't have all it takes and connecting to the supernatural God of the universe is critical and truly changing. The Bible says be transformed by changing the way you think. But what really makes you who you are is not what you think or believe. You may be transformed by the renewing of your mind or the way you think. But who you really are, the, the, the construct of you, is not based in what you think or believe. Because many of you think a certain way and you believe a certain way. But your behavior completely goes counter to what you think or believe because you're driven by something else. In fact, St. Augustine says it like this. You are what you love. See, we're, 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 you aren't who you are just by what you think. You are who you, you love. Because you can say, I love Jesus. But what you really love is the control you feel when you make that money. And you love the sense of feeling like I'm in control. And so you love Jesus. He's good. He's part of the whole kit and caboodle. But he's not the deal because... Because you really are in love with the control. Because if control is lost, your first, your first inkling, your first instinct, your first tap on the knee jerk reaction isn't to go to God for your source, but to go to yourself or to go to this person or to go to the arms of that person. And you are what you love. And you really can't change without understanding the love of God. Because love, what you worship really shows you what you love. And we just are in love with worshiping us. We really are. I can't know God truly without prayer. I can't know God. I mean, you can know about God, but you can't really know him because prayer is communication. It's not this. That was, I turned a monk prayer into a little mermaid there. So I want to be where the people are. Prayer is, is not aerial. Okay. Um, I can't know God without prayer. It's communication that is simple 
And you know, as well as I do, that communication is a two-way street. But when we think of prayer, we don't think two-way. We think one-way. We think me sitting there talking to God versus listening to God. Can I free some of you today? If you're going to spend 10 minutes in prayer this week, all week, 10 minutes, that's it. Spend three minutes talking and seven minutes listening. Spend more time listening to God than even talking to God. Because I promise you, the God of the cosmos knows who you are, where you are, and you can talk all day long. But I love my wife, but I don't know my wife without listening to her. In fact, I've learned that like, you know, all I want you to do is listen to what I said when I told you to do this. The the reason I'm upset is not because you did this or that. It's because you didn't listen, Linda. Okay. You didn't listen. It's part of knowing one another. Finally, I won't access his strength without prayer. Well, I hope the good man up, big man upstairs, the good Lord's watching down, listening. I hope, I hope he'll throw me a rope in all this. You don't access the strength of God through a hope. All throughout the book of Psalms, authors are writing poetry and music about God to God in honor of God, crying out to God. They are prayers in rhythm and prose. And they're dealing with relational problems, wounds, sickness, illness, betrayal, financial realities. And they're dealing with all of that and they pray over it in order to access the strength of Almighty God. So if prayer is the key, I could give you several more, but those are just a few. If prayer is the key to everything you should do and be, I would suggest that the next question we all should ask, just to make sure we're on the same page, whether you're a senior saint and, and, and you grew up in the church. You know, people grow up in the church. It don't mean a thing when it comes to prayer. I mean, it don't mean a thing when it comes to prayer. It's engaging and actually doing it. Well, grandma sure prayed for me. I'm so glad. But your grandma's relationship with God is, is, not, is not really what we're talking about today. We're talking about your relationship with God. So if prayer is the key to everything you should do or be, the question is, how do you do it? Beyond rogue prayers of Jesus, take the wheel, or God, if you'll just let me pass this next test, I swear I'll stop doing that. Or God, if you're up there, I, I need your, or why didn't you do you, he can He can handle any prayer, but beyond rogue prayers of when we need it in the moment, like an uh-oh prayer or a flare prayer, help God. How do we really understand dynamic? How do we do dynamic prayer life? The disciples spent three years plus with Jesus. They saw him walk on water. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him turn H2O into Merlot. They, they saw him feed thousands of people with a Lunchable. I mean, it was a fish Lunchable. I don't recommend those, but it was a, it was a Lunchable. And after all the things, saw him roll away a stone in another graveyard before he was arrested and say, Lazarus, come forth. And his friend who was dead for four days is raised to life. They saw all of that. Yet the only question of asking him to teach them something wasn't like, how'd you do that whole walking on water, David Copperfield thing? Can you teach us that? I've been practicing in the jacuzzi and it's not working. How do you turn that water into wine, Jesus? That's pretty cool little party trick. I would be like the favorite of the family if this next Hanukkah, I could turn water into wine and whatnot. What did they ask him? The question they asked on what he might teach them in Luke 11, he said, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Beyond walking on water and turning water to wine and all of the wisdom he had when the Pharisees would come against them and they thought they had him in a corner and he would spin it on a dime and say, well, you say it that way, but here's what I say. And they're like, mind blown. Did you see Jesus just like juke him right there? They're wearing hoodies and say, Jesus juke. Lord, teach us to pray. There was something dynamic about Jesus' prayer life to his father. And he's Jesus. Like you think I'm good. I'm kind of good with the father. If Jesus, how arrogant of us to think I don't need, I don't need to gather with believers. I don't need to pray. I don't need that. Good Lord's got it. How arrogant of us if the son of the living God modeled so ferociously prayer that the disciples, that's the thing they asked for them to be taught how arrogant of us to think that we shouldn't learn the same. 
And his response to the question or the, the request, Lord, teach us to pray, is what is affectionately known as the Lord's Prayer. And there in Matthew 6 and in Luke chapter 11, we get the Lord's Prayer. Now, in different Bible translations and versions, you can read it in different ways. But if you grew up with any connection to Christianity, uh, you probably started learning it within the King James Version. And so what we're going to do is we're going to access it from the King James over the course of these next several weeks. And we're going to say it together. In fact, I'm going to invite you to just to say the prayer out loud with me. Um, and we're going to do that every week. I'll get it down into our heart, but it's way beyond memorization. It's about transformation. You can memorize this prayer and see zero transformation in your life. Or you can memorize this prayer, understand it, access the power behind it, and it will be transformative. Here's the Lord's prayer. Would you guys like to say it with me? Everybody say it all locations. Let's go. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When they ask him, Jesus, how do you pray? He says, here's how you do it. And it's probably the most quoted and said phrase in all of Christianity um, beyond the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And it's amazing how those connect together, David and Jesus and this prayer. We'll talk about that in a few weeks, the shepherd and this prayer. But here's the question I have. If that's the way we're supposed to pray and there's power in prayer and you change and you know God and you access his strength, why doesn't when we pray the Lord's prayer, why doesn't it work all the time? Why doesn't it work? Man, I prayed that prayer. Jesus told me to pray and it just didn't like, like things didn't happen and the marriage is still struggling and I'm still addicted and I still got issues and I don't even understand. I'm still mad and why, why this and why that? And, and I, he didn't come through with me on that. And I mean, what, what's going on? Why is it that when I pray it, um, it doesn't work all the time? Well, let me tell you one reason why is because it's not a formula. You cannot math. You can't be a mathematician with God. It's not about formulating your life. It's not a, our father plus a kingdom come equals blessings. In fact, write it down. Every phrase is a thread that connects and compresses the fabric of biblical doctrine into one prayer. That's what the Lord's prayer is. Every single line is a thread that stitches together the fabric of biblical doctrine. So when we say your kingdom come, if you don't know what the kingdom of God really looks like and your part in the kingdom of God and what role he plays in the kingdom, if you don't even know what your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means, then when you pray it, of course you're not accessing the understanding. It's almost like Jesus gave us the doctrine of the Bible pushed down, pressed down into this. And if you can get each piece, I promise you, if you can understand the doctrine behind it, the, the, the deep teaching, the heart of God behind it, it will transform your life and go way beyond something you can quote without even engaging your heart, but something that can actually change your heart. And it all starts with these two words, our father, father. If you get these two wrong, you'll get the trajectory of the rest of the prayer wrong. If I started on this platform and walked out of the broadcast location, if I was only two degrees off from walking from here to my car, if I was walking from here to my car, if it was about a hundred feet, I'd end up being about nine feet away from my car. If I just walked about two degrees off walking a hundred feet into the parking lot, that doesn't seem like a big deal. It's 10 feet, but the further I go, Two degrees makes a huge difference to the point of a space shuttle that's launched to the moon. If it's launched from Fort Lauderdale by two degrees off, it ends up missing the moon by 8,600 miles. That would be like you saying, let's go to Houston. Let's go to the Galleria and ending up in Sydney, Australia. That's how far 8,600 miles. You'd be that far off by just those two degrees. 
And I'm going to tell you, we live in a culture that we are off when it comes to the two words, our father. By just saying those two words already, I have engaged for some of you, warmth. For others of you, tension. Regret, hurt, wounds. Happiness, thoughts, friend. And in a room like this, in all the locations, father means a lot. And you and I are living in what is known as the fatherless generation. Jeremy, I came to church. I'm a single parent. Are you going to poke me in the eye today? No, no. In fact, I want to help today. This this is nothing to do with um, um, being in the middle of a a single uh, parent situation and us looking down. Actually, um, I commend you and are with you and want to support you. The truth is 20 million children live in a home without the physical presence of a father today in the United States. That's not, in, that's not including children who are in the foster program. Live in a home without a physical presence of a father. That can be tough. Millions more have dads who are physically present, but emotionally absent. 89% of students under the age of 21 that are in some kind of incarceration, 89% of them are from a fatherless home. Um, if you grow up in a fatherless home, four times more likely that poverty may be a reality in your life. If fatherlessness were classified as a disease, it will have affected us so much more drastically than something we call COVID-19. The economy, education, crime, poverty, security, love is deeply affected by the reality of a, of a nation that is loving to dumb down the place of a father. To the point where it's really hard to even watch a television show with a father. You say, man, I look up to them. They're more of the butt of the joke than some kind of linchpin in a family. Organizations exist today to defy the role of a father in culture. So when we say our father... We're dealing with, we're already behind the eight ball. We're already dealing with a lot of senses here. I have a hard time preaching about our father because I grew up with a, with a dad who was emotionally present and did love and whose hands disciplined. And every once in a while he said, you want your teeth in your mouth or in your pocket? And I get it. And I get it. Like he knew, I knew what like a spanking felt like. But I grew up with a good dad and some of you did too. And some of you did not. And so even now, if we're, we're going to miss the moon, if we can't get the, the trajectory right on the very first two words. And I'll also say to you here in the middle of the climate, wherein we're living the individual climate, we're all individuals. Notice that the very first word in this prayer isn't father. The very first word is our our father. God expects you to think of him when you think of other people too. You cannot dissect your Christianity from your politics. You can't love your neighbor and hate the Democrat or hate the Republican. You can't do that. You can debate. And if you haven't heard my message on politics, if I haven't offended you already, go watch that. Maybe I'll do my job. But, but we are in a situation where we are we are disconnecting who God's calling us to be with one another. Love me. And the way you show that you love me is you love each other. Our father, it's in community. All kinds of names of God, provider, healer, almighty. 
Rose of Sharon, Lily of the Valley, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, all of these names of God. When Jesus says, if you're going to pray, here's how you do it. He chooses our father on purpose. And so the next few moments we have, I just want to give you some context so that you can, you can kind of, charge up your prayer. That when you step in to a prayer moment before a meal, can I invite you? Can I invite you? Honestly, honestly, I'm going to say, when we pray over meals, if it's God is good, God is great, let us thank him for our plate. Or if you say God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food because you got to rhyme it. Like, that's okay. That's okay. But if you're not really praying and you're just going, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, you're missing an opportunity. What if, what if just for the next few weeks, every time you pray over your meal, don't pray any kind of recorded prayer other than Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Why don't you pray the Lord's Prayer? Let's get that into our system. Let's break off of some habits that aren't really prayer. They're more just the same way that that you ought to brush your teeth every day. You just kind of say something every day. Like, let's let's mean something with our our prayers. So I just want to talk to you about this whole idea. Let, Let me start with what God didn't say. It's not about the God of creation. When you pray... When you pray, yes, you're praying to the God of creation, but that's not the posture in which you approach God, Jesus says. God is the God of all creation. He created you. He knew you when you were in your mother's, uh, when you were in your mother's womb. He has plans and designs for you, but I want to say something that may feel a little controversial to you, um, and, and it's this. Being created by God doesn't make you a child of God. Being created by God doesn't make you a child. What do you mean? We're all God's offspring. I was created in the image of God. Okay, 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 okay. All right, easy, easy turbo. Let me say it like this. Have you ever heard the statement, you were never a father to me? Of course you have. You've heard somebody say that. Maybe you said it. They were never a father to me. They may have been your biological originator, but they were not your father. Because father speaks of relationship, That's what you're yearning for or longing for. And even though God created us, being created by God does not necessarily make you a child of God. You're the creation, but not a child. Because Paul says it like this. It is in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. So just because you were made in the image of God, you were born on this world earth, I want to say that you, you're, you're missing a critical understanding of who God is. If all you've ever seen him has is the big man upstairs and he's kind of looking down on me. He's winking on me. He's got my guardian angel out protecting me. That's, that's not the kind of relationship that, that God is after with you. He's, he sent his son to pay for your adoption. To be not just a person, not just a creation, but a son and daughter of the king. So it's not about the God of creation when we pray. It's about understanding the gift of adoption when we pray. I read it already that Paul says there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. That's that's not saying uh, gender identity isn't a big deal in God's kingdom. He creates us male. He creates us female. What's he saying is in that culture, Jews consider themselves closer to God than the Gentiles. He's saying, no, 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 you're not. It's not about being a Jew. It's not about being Gentile slaves and free people. It's not about being a slave or about being free. It's not about being male or female because in that culture, uh, a female never got an inheritance. That was the power of that was the power of family because if they were widowed, they were or divorced, they were basically left without any kind of help, and they would become impoverished and beggars. And so, male or female is more about you all have value. If you belong to Christ, your Abraham seed heirs according to the promise. An heir of God? Serious? Like my mom and dad haven't done great, but they've set some stuff aside. And when they die, I'm an heir to their estate. In fact, write it down. When you are a child of God in Christ Jesus, when you've invited Jesus to be the center of your life and accept him as your savior, 
You're an heir to an inheritance you could never earn. You invented a killer app. It's an app that will actually, um, it, it, Facebook ended up buying it and, and it'll listen to all your conversations, whether your phone is off or on. <laughs> Somebody must have invented that, right? Don't you feel that way? Um, you invented this app, you sold it to Facebook, you, you made a billion dollars. A few years later, you get married and you adopt a kid. You adopt a kid. That kid didn't do nothing. But legally, they are an heir to your worth. Legally, they are placed in a position. They are an heir. You could write them out. You could, but they are legally, because of adoption alone, an heir to the promise of your inheritance. My question for you is, regardless of what you may inherit, regardless of what you have, you don't have nothing compared to what God has. You think you own it? You don't own it. You don't even know. It's a scratch in, it's a scratch in the galaxies compared to what God. So the question is, what is God's net worth? Because as an heir, as a child of God, the glory of God and the goodness of God, the resurrection power of God. Someday it started in a garden and we failed miserably. And the whole story of God is God bringing us back to him. And there will become a time where there's a new garden, a new heaven and new earth. Right now, the apostle Paul says all of creation is in decay. But at some point when the glory of the children of God are revealed, even the creation will cry out. Even creation will be illuminated because of the glory of the children of God. I can't even scratch the surface of what that means. That's hard to even comprehend. You got to sit with that scripture in Romans eight and really chew on that for a while. But the truth is God is the one that's giving you an inheritance that you can rest easy. How many of you are so concerned with something that, that is in your control, but yet God owns it all. If, if you had a trillion dollars in a Swiss bank account and yet you got your purse stolen in the Lufkin mall and it had 50 bucks in there, I mean, you'd be ticked off because nobody wants something stolen from them, right? And it's not right. But it's not like you would go berserk over the 50 bucks. It would more be, oh, that's frustrating because you would understand the loss of this doesn't change my status I can get this back. This is not a big deal. But we go berserk every time someone slices you on Facebook relationally. Someone doesn't come through for you. Somebody wounds you. And all of a sudden we lose it all because of that. And you forget that you, if you've asked Jesus to be the savior and Lord of your life, you, you are an heir to an inheritance that you never could earn. You are solid in him. He's the one that shows you your worth. It's not about what you could ever earn, what you ever have, what you ever did or what you ever didn't do. He's the one that places the worth on you. You are an heir to the God what, what is omnipotence worth, everybody? That's the kind of God we serve. When you go to our father, he is that kind of father who has it available. Number two, he's not my boss, but he is my legal guardian. He's not my boss. He's not the big boss man upstairs. He's not the boss. Now, if you've ever worked for a good boss, a good boss can be really good. I would say, I would challenge you that it's better to work for a good boss than a bad boss. I don't know. Polls are out. We'll see. It's good to work for a good boss than a bad boss. And a boss and a legal guardian do a lot of the same things, but they're very, very different when the rubber meets the road. And here's what I mean. A boss and a guardian both will provide. They sign a paycheck. They provide for food on the table. Uh, a boss rewards and a guardian rewards. When you do well, you will be rewarded. A good boss and a guardian, they care. They care about where you are. They care about what's going on. They, they listen to you. They'll coach you up. They won't just demand something. There's relational equity here. Hey, both a boss and a guardian will invest in your future. If they see you have value to the company, that, that comes from either promotion or certification or additional education or uh, additional uh, promotion and reward and salary, a boss will invest 
in your future. A boss will help you if you're struggling. A good boss, you say, hey man, this is tough. Let me come alongside of you and help you. Not like just figure it out. A good boss will help you where you are. If you're struggling, so will a guardian. But if you continue to struggle over and over and over and over and over and over again, and we have a development plan and we have a one-on-one, you know, management interview and we say, okay, here's the next three steps. Uh, Things are not going well. And we have a grow or go conversation. Things are not going well. In the next 90 days, I need this, 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 and improve. I want you to get there. But if you can't, we're going to have to go a different direction. Does that mean I'm going to be fired? Yes, it does. I love you. Now, go get the job done. You got to have some go or grow conversations if you're a good boss. But if they continue to struggle, a boss will terminate your employment. I'm tired of you coming in late. I've tried. I've helped. I even went from opening the doors at 8 to 1130 and you're still not on time. You're fired. You're fired. But when you struggle and you continue to struggle, that guardian who loves you, that legal guardian who's adopted you and brought you in, A guardian gets even closer when you're struggling. I love both of my kids, but if one of them comes home from school emotionally wounded, I'm not giving them both equal time in that moment. I lean into the one who's struggling. When the one who's struggling continues to come in late after curfew, we may have some choice words. We may have some hot conversation. But there's something about when a child is struggling, you don't get out of the way. You lean into the struggle. You show up a little bit more. And God is way beyond the big boss upstairs. Is he the boss of creation? You betcha. But he's not interested in being your boss. He's interested in being your provider and your guardian. Legally, through Jesus Christ, that's who he is. And Paul said it. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And that spirit, whether you cry out or not, there's something in you longing for identity, longing for fatherhood, longing for love, longing for, for affection, longing for affirmation, longing for uh, someone to, to notice you. And people find that in all kinds of ways. And God is saying, I want to be that to you. The spirit who calls out boss man. No. The spirit who calls out mighty creator of heaven and earth. No, the one who calls out Abba, Father. Flying to Israel in many years, several years ago now in 2012, 11-hour flight, and, and as I'm sitting there, three rows ahead of me in the middle area was a Hasidic Jew and dressed in Jewish garb and um, uh, locks coming down on both sides. And uh, there was a time as we were driving and the sun went up, those, um, uh, Ju- the, the Jewish people there got up and they began to do their prayers and they began to, uh, it was a very beautiful, powerful thing. This uh, Hasidic Jew that was sitting a few rows ahead, he um, had a child next to him, about three years old. The child began to get uh, sick as we, as we were uh, elevating, as we were lifting off. The, the um, ears were popping. Ah, ah, like that. He began to cry and the whole plane is like, oh, stupid kid. You know, <laughs> you know how it is. Um, unless you are, they're like, you don't even know. My child's the greatest. Even when they cry, they're beautiful. Crying, making a scene. And, and, and the dad picks up the, the child and the child begins to hold on to those locks on the side of his face. And, and the child, I could just hear the child saying, Abba, 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 Abba. Because it was Hebrew. For this word that we don't quite get, it's like the mix between poppy and papa and daddy and, and mommy and, and, and pops. It's just like, it's what you call a parent versus what your neighbor calls your parent. There's this closeness there. And that's what God is saying that you, I will scoop you up and you can, even when you're wounded, you're hurt, things are good. Abba, 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 Abba. That's the kind of relationship. What does that mean? Number three, I have unconditional access, unconditional access to his love, unconditional access and to his time and his attention and his protection. Write it down, everybody. Forever. Forever. 
A boss may terminate relationship, but he is in this with you forever. Have you heard of the uh, War of Jenkins' Ear? Anybody? War, war of Jenkins' Ear? No, no reason why you should. It's a real obscure little war that happened with uh, Britain and Spain. 1739, a Spanish ship uh, did an act of piracy against a British ship, and the captain of the British ship's name was Captain Jenkins. And Captain Jenkins and their whole ship, they, they struggled to fight them. They were overtaken. Captain Jenkins, in the middle of the fight, got his ear cut off. And they collected the ear, put it in a bottle of liquor, and sent it back to Britain into Parliament. And in, an, in a session of Parliament, that ear was, was placed right there on the desk as they were doing business. And on that day, uh, Britain declared war against Spain over an ear. Like, it's war, let's go, over an ear. Why? And they said it this way. An attack on a citizen of the crown is an attack on the crown. When enemies come in like a flood against you, you are not alone. He is there and you have unconditional access to the love and the attention and the care and the protection of God forever. When Saul, who later name was Paul, when he began, listen to me guys, when he began uh, out, he wasn't writing God is love. He was saying, kill everybody, kill the Christians. He was, he was hell bent on killing believers in Jesus. As a matter of fact, uh, over in the book of Acts, he had requested approval by the synagogues to go in to a place called Damascus and arrest those that were believing in Jesus called the way. They gave him approval. He was on his way to Damascus. And the Bible says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, this is a visitation of Jesus himself. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The truth is, Jesus had already died, resurrected and ascended into heaven. Paul was Saul was persecuting other Christians, but Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting Christians? Jesus said, why are you persecute me? Why? Because an attack on a citizen of the crown is an attack on the crown. And that's just not national solidarity when it comes to Jesus, everybody. He's not just about the national kingdom. It's like, you know, when somebody messes with your kids, don't even get me started about when somebody messes with your kids. You mess with my kids, you mess with me. And I may love you, and I may be a pastor, and I may pray on occasion, and I may preach a sermon that might help you a time or two, but so help me, Jesus. If you mess with my kids, I may knock you off your donkey and say, why are you person? You mess with my kids. You mess with me. That's who we're praying to. That's who we're praying to. Get beyond this cosmic thing and get to this family thing. You're no longer a slave. You're God's child. It goes way beyond a national thing and a good Christian thing. And it's a, it's a personal thing. So as we wrap up today, what does it look like to weave the thread of adoption into prayer? So that when you get ready to pray and before you even use the words, can you pray other prayers? Of course you can. This is not the only prayer, but it's a powerful prayer and you ought to be praying it more. You ought to be praying it more and I ought to be praying it more. But before I even say our, how do I weave the understanding of adoption into this prayer? Because that will connect the dots and strengthen the power of the prayer. Here's what you do. Two things. Come to him with the cost in mind. Come to him with the cost in mind. Adoption didn't happen on accident with you. It cost him greatly. Galatians 4. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law, like he was human and he was under Jewish law and he had to follow in line everything. And he did it for you and for me so he could accomplish it because you can never be perfect enough, good enough, give enough, pray hard enough. That because of what he would do to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Redeem those is literally pay the price of a slave. In the original language, he paid the price of your slavery in order for you not to be a slave in the house of God, not to be a servant in the house of God, but to be a son or a daughter in the house of God. And Jesus, that's why he prayed so much to his father. It's why all throughout the the, the gospels, you see Jesus praying to the father. Father, I pray this. Father, I pray that. Before he raises Lazarus, from the dead. He says, Father, I pray this, not just for you to hear, but really for everybody else to hear. I want to give witness to this of your power. And, and he always knew, he said, I will pray the father. I'll pray to the father and he'll give you. If a good father gives good gifts to his children, how much more the heavenly father, Jesus understood the relationship wasn't mighty God in the cosmos that I'm part of the Trinity and you're God, the father, I'm God, the son. But yes, this father understanding, because we needed to understand that there's only one time There's only one moment where Jesus calls his father by a different name. There's only one time recorded in all of Jesus' life where he doesn't refer to God as father. When he's arrested in the garden, he's even saying, Father, take this cup from me. I know the cup you've asked me to drink, Father. Not my will, but yours, your will be done. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. As he was praying and the disciples couldn't even follow him. Sweating droplets of blood. Later to be arrested, convicted of a crime he did not commit. Blasphemy. All he did was commit truth. And he's crucified between two common criminals halfway through, halfway through. Even the the very first thing Jesus says on the cross, the very first thing he says on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. But the further he got into what he was supposed to do to pay for your sin and for mine, When he began to feel the heaviness and the weight of all of the sin of the world being paid by that sacrifice, Jesus turns to heaven and he doesn't say, Father, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not going to say, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because a father won't forsake you. A good father will not forsake you. But in this moment, God was no longer his father. God was the judge. God was the holy God who separates from sin. And Jesus now loses his sonship for you to have. Jesus lost the sonship he deserved to give us the sonship we didn't deserve. And he pays for our access to God so that we don't say, big man upstairs, and come on, stop it. Just stop. It's really who he is. A legal guardian wouldn't turn the back. A legal garden wouldn't crucify their son. The legal guardian wouldn't place all of that hurt on them. That legal guardian would say, whatever it takes, I'll do it. I'll exchange it. But God knew what had to be done to pay for your adoption and for mine. So you come to him with the cost in mind. When you say our father, what does that really mean? He's not my, he's not just creator God. The only way he's my father is by what what Jesus gave up. Boy, he must love me so much. Wow, it's not about what I could ever do. I gotta remember that. Wow, I I didn't pay for my adoption. He, He paid for it. He saw me and he saw value in me. When nobody else saw that kind of value, he saw that in me. And before I even breathed my first breath, he... He paid that kind of price for me. Come with a cost in mind. And 
because now you are a son and daughter of the one true king, come to him with shameless confidence. Arms wide open, stretched out, ready to receive you, not mad at you, but mad about you. Let me finish with this story. I'm done with this story. I'm done. My pawpaw Yancey. Not my grandpa, but my pawpaw. My pawpaw Yancey had a second grade education. Not because he dropped out because he loved to play hooky. He dropped out because his parents couldn't afford to run the farm without him. There in the, the thicket of Arkansas, Pawpaw Yancey, with a second grade education, began to grow up. Had a few kids. One of them happened to be my grandpa. Pawpaw Yancey was a character. He was a migrant farm worker. He was a sawmill operator. Now the sawmill operating thing didn't go too well because I I kid you not, after a few years, he had lost these three fingers and his index finger on his left hand. He was the coolest Arkansas, you know, (laughs) didn't even know. Never surfed a day in his life. And to be honest with you, when you're a great grandchild and you go to Paul Paul Yancey's house and he's got the claw, you know, going after it's a little freaky. I'm just going to be honest. Paul Paul Yancey had a uniform he wore every single day, a uniform, the Arkansas uniform, apparently overalls with no shirt. I kid you not every day, overalls, no shirt. My Paw Paw Yancey would eat onions like they were apples. He would peel off the loose piece and would just... <sighs> an apple a day keeps the doctor away. An onion away keeps your, onion a day keeps your wife away. I'm just going to tell you right now. Later, I found out, in fact, I only found this out a couple of weeks ago, that he ate the onions to cover the alcohol that was always on his breath. He loved God, but he had some addictions. When we would pull up into their driveway, every time that I can remember, Papa and Mama Yancey would be on the front porch in that modest, tiny little shack of a home in the deep woods of Arkansas. We would open the doors, the great grandkids, my papa, like clockwork, would set his sweet tea down that was in a mason jar and his onion on the other side. That's a great combination. And he'd, he'd get down and he was old and he had a, you know, it was an interesting dynamic when your papa walks down like this with the claws and the onion on his breath, no shirt, you know, armpit hair hanging out. there were three words he would say every single time. Every single time that I can remember. He'd step down off that porch, walk down and he'd say, where them babies? Where them babies? And onion breath and all, us grandkids would run to Papa. And he'd scoop us up. Oh, and I'd ever tell you the time I got the claw. Granddaddy ever tell you, Papa ever tell you how I lost these fingers? Yes, Grandpa, tell us again. And I want you to know, I want you to know, your God in heaven doesn't stand behind a screen door. And when you pull up, start to rehash all the things that you did that you haven't said thank you for. He doesn't look through the kitchen window with arms crossed saying, what do they want this time? God the Father doesn't stand on the porch waiting for you to get it right and you to approach him. Our God, he does not have onion breath. Our our, our God, our Father does does not have scars on his hands because of mistakes he's made, but his son has scars on his hands because of the sacrifice that he's made. You think you're the one running after him. I want you to know he steps off the porch of the galaxy. And 
His words to you aren't, you're coming to me again with that. His words to you, I believe, are, we're the babies. We're the babies. Don't you see it? He loves you. And he's a good father. And you got an uphill battle disconnecting from the thoughts of a dad. But no, he's faithful and he's true and he's good. And he's holy and he's strong and he's mighty. And he, and, 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 and he has given us truth to live by, but he, he welcomes us. So when you pray, pray, our Father. Can we do that this morning, all locations? Would you close your eyes? Our Father in heaven, eyes closed and heads bowed. Let's do a little business with God, shall we? Um, If you've tried to get to God by just being a good person, um, you know, you may have done some good things and that's kudos to you, but that's not really what it's about. It's about what he's done, not what you could ever do. And so inviting him into your life is about this whole adoption thing. have to get everything figured out for him to have already paid for it and to receive you as a son or a daughter but you do have to receive it it's a gift and if you've never invited Jesus to be your savior the gift of Jesus that brings us into adoption if that's you all across these rooms if you want to you would simply say Jesus be the Lord of my life thank you for loving me so much that you gave your life for me God, I, I don't want to see you just as a creator, just as a, an answer to a prayer. You're, you're my heavenly father. And I need you in my life. I want you in my life. And I'm going to yield to you because you're a good father. And I want to pray for those of you that you have wounds from a father. Jesus, I pray that there would be wounds that are healed today. Forgiveness that can be shared today. Maybe a bitter root that can be cut out today because there was a dad that let them down but you will never leave us or forsake us so God if there are some hurts that need to be healed I pray that you would begin to do that in Jesus mighty name Father for the rest of us may we lean in to who you are because when we discover who you are we know who we are We ask it all in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everybody said, amen.